Okay, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just uh, we thank you for your mercy toward us and uh, God your graciousness and, and uh, God we just thank you that we once again have the opportunity to come together to to uh, to meet to fellowship to study your word uh, to just learn about your um, your person your great work uh, all that you accomplish in history in the salvation of your people and preserving them to glory. And uh, God, we just uh, we just thank you, and I pray that as we continue this study, as we as we complete the study this morning, that uh, Lord, just that we would uh, just think deeply about these things, and that they would impact our lives, so that we could uh, live in a way that pleases you. I pray in Christ's name, Amen. All right, so we are come to the end of our study on the Holy Spirit, um, and as Pastor Rick was mentioning just before we started that we've we've barely scratched the surface of the topic, so um, you know there's there's a, there's plenty that I didn't you know get a chance to even look at in, in preparation. So you could you could spend a lot of time um, on this topic. But just as a reminder, what we have covered, um, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, in his person as the, the third person of the Trinity. We've talked about the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit um, throughout the Old Testament and the life of Jesus, um, just in the conversion of sinners, and, and specifically, um, you know, the, what, the way it applies to our lives uh, the Holy Spirit as a, as a teacher, as a sanctifier. Uh, we've talked about being led by the Spirit. We've talked about uh, the gift of the Spirit, and we've talked about the gifts of the Spirit, um, and then specifically we talked about prophecy. Um, and then this morning, um, to close up, I, I figured the um, just as I was looking at the different uh, topics we could talk about, the thing that seemed the the best to save to the last was uh, to look at the Holy Spirit as the Helper. Um, and uh, you know, we'll be looking at a couple different aspects of that, but I think that's a, it'll be a good place to. Uh, to close our study. So, um, I know a passage that we've mentioned it at least once, uh, maybe a few times throughout the study, uh, is John chapter 14. I'll just read verses uh, 15 through 17 here. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so there we see Jesus' promise of, uh, of of another helper coming. Um, look at the footnote. It's uh, advocate, counselor, or other uh, possible interpretations there. But the, the idea is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us. Um, and how long will the Holy Spirit be with us? What does Jesus tell us? Forever. Forever, yeah. He will be with you forever. Um, so that's a that's a great promise that we will have the the Holy Spirit with us forever. That He is a helper. Um, now, I'm going to ask questions like, well, how does the Spirit help us? 
and we've talked about this to some degree as we've as we've gone through it. You know that he's a he's a teacher. Uh, we've you know we've talked about the the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he bestows um, on the the, uh, the the body, the, the members of the church. Um, uh, we you know we've talked about uh, the um, uh, basically the the idea of of the the Spirit helping us to understand as we read Scripture, uh, things like that. Um, what about is there is there anything else that you can think of that specifically the Bible talks about where the Holy Spirit is a helper to us? Any thoughts? No, it's kind of like pop quiz. You guys didn't know you were going to be asked that question. Sanctification. Sanctification. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, that's something that we've we've uh, we've basically did a whole lesson on was you know was the Holy Spirit as a sanctifier. Um, and so, yes, the Holy Spirit does help us in our sanctification, convicts us of sin, and makes us, you know, truly desire to be holy people. So, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, also, the uh, part where it says, don't worry about what you're going to say mm-hmm. when they question you. Mm-hmm. I'll give you those words. I think if I'm right, maybe he's talking about the Holy Spirit there, but no, I'm just second-guessing that. I'm sorry, say it one more time. I, I'm not second-guessing whether that was talking about the Holy Spirit or just in general, but I think that was talking about yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I, 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 I believe the Holy Spirit is is referenced in that section, and um, I, I mean, to a certain degree, some of that is like specifically some of the some of the stuff going on with the apostles in the first yes. century. Yes. Uh, but certainly, it carries the idea of the Holy Spirit being a teacher. Um, so again, that's a topic that we've we've discussed as we've looked at this: is that the Holy Spirit is a, is our teacher. It helps us to understand uh, the things that uh, that come from God. Any other thoughts before I dive into what I have to invent? Sorry. <laughs> so going the other way, He mm-hmm. also helps us when we pray. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is like you were saying it was the word. Uh, I mean, I think the word comforter is one of these, but also, uh, or counselor, but also advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he, he takes our good works even and mm-hmm. uh, brings those before the Father. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's, and that's actually like the first place I was going to go then was, uh, was as the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. Um, and I'm sure that uh, many of you know that where that's talked about specifically is in Romans chapter 8. So we're going to turn over to Romans chapter 8. Now we're going to we're going to look at a bit of Romans 8, but we're going to we're going to start closer to the end, but we're going to jump back a little later. Uh, but Romans 8 uh, beginning in verse 26, Paul says, "Likewise the spirit helps in our weaknesses." Or sorry, in our weakness. Uh, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what's the what's the problem here that requires the Spirit's help? Anybody? When it comes to prayer, we're we're pretty weak. Uh huh. Okay. Can you flesh that out at all? Well, sometimes we just don't even know what to pray mm-hmm. and stuff, and so yeah. the Spirit helps us in that. Yeah. So yeah, our our understanding of what it is that we ought to be praying for is often very deficient. 
and even when we do understand, we often don't do a very good job of praying for it the way that we ought, and um, you know, with all the right motivation and without throwing in our own qualifications of this is what I want, Lord, but do it this way. <laughs> um, so there's there's all sorts of things that you know that get in the way of prayer being really all that it should be. Um, and so, how specifically does the Holy Spirit help us in this? Well, it says he intercedes with groanings too deep for words. I mean, it's it's where we are failing, what, what, where we're coming short. He is filling in those gaps. He is, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he's communicating mm-hmm. better than we ever could right. imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's the what's the the word intercede there? What's the what's the meaning of that? I mean, he talks a, on our behalf. Yeah, he talks on our behalf. Yeah. Um, Basically, you know, it's, I mean, just like in everyday, you know, speak, uh, everyday speech, you know, we, we think of the idea of like, you know, basically somebody going and speaking on your behalf to somebody, um, you know, rather than you going and speaking uh, directly. And that is kind of the idea that, that even while we're praying, the Holy Spirit's going in there and he is offering up prayer on our behalf. Um, you know, and it uses the, the language here of, of, uh, of groanings too deep for words um, but uh, obviously like very a very heartfelt um, uh, intercession on our behalf that is just full of of complete knowledge and goodwill for us um, and how do we know that uh, that this help is effectual to start out with it's the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. yeah God doesn't do ineffectual things does he no. well, and it goes on in the passage mm-hmm. we know sorry um, uh, the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God mm-hmm. he is not interceding for us with our selfish our sinful nature he's interceding the will of God exactly exactly so it's, I mean it's like if he's praying the will of God for us, then, as I mean, that's just guaranteed. It's going to be effectual prayer, right? Because it's the will of God for us. And so if the Holy Spirit is praying those things for us, we know that that's what's going to be accomplished. Um, and so um, that's something we can take great comfort in, right? Um, just as we are uh, praying and just how poorly we do it at prayer, um, we have God himself, the third person in the Trinity, Praying on our behalf um, in a way that is completely at harmony with the will of both God the Father and God the Son. Um, and it will be effectual. I mean, he is God himself, and it's all just part of God's divine plan. Um, so that's a major way that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Um Jumping back in uh, Romans 8, let's go back to verse 14. Um, There it says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
And we, we've looked at, at this before when we've talked about um, being led by the Spirit and what that means. Uh, but this morning I want to look at a, a different aspect of this passage. Um, here, uh, there's, there's this, this whole idea of being adopted, uh, the, the idea of becoming a child of God is the idea that's being presented in this passage. Um, and there's a, there's a contrast uh, being presented um, as, you know, in verse 15 it says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons. Now, why would a spirit of slavery lead to fear? Why does Paul make that contrast? I mean, the slave is someone who is at the ultimate whim of the master. Okay. And it's not someone who's necessarily in the master's favor. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, definitely a slave is, is just at, at his master's will. Um, and if you if you know the, the full context of the Book of Romans, um, is there anything more that we could, we could think about that? Maybe even just earlier in... Chapter eight. Well, say that's really touching on our free will within okay. salvation. Uh huh. Um, I'm just going back to the uh, uh, Armenian debate of if we're predestined, we don't have free will. It's, mm-hmm. we, we're not slaves to God. He's not. It's not. A, I don't feel like I'm saying this right or saying this well. But we're, we're not slaves. Uh huh. Uh, to God in the fact that we need to fear what he's doing in our lives. Okay. Yeah. That is true. Um, I'm not sure if that's really where Paul's going with that, but I mean, it's, it's a it's a true statement. Um, what's what's he been talking about? And if anybody remembers, um, you know, chapter 8 or, I mean, the book of Romans as a whole kind of leads to this. So yeah, yeah. We've been slaves to sin naturally. That's yeah. what we were born. Yeah. yeah. I think you're looking at verse 2, kind of, of chapter 8, too. Mm-hmm. Where the law of spirit of life is set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Right, right. So what's what's the what's the the state of slavery that we existed in before? Yeah. So Paul is saying that um, because we've been adopted by God, um, through the power of the spirit, we can have victory over sin. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to be afraid. Um, of the judgment of God because you know, though we were slaves of sin, now we're slaves of Christ. Of yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not using the terminology of slaves of Christ here, but, yeah. but, but I mean, overall, yeah, you're getting exactly what I think Paul is after here, is that uh, it's prior to this being brought in as being adopted as sons of God, um, our relationship to God was one where he is the he's the lawgiver, he's the judge, and we are enslaved under sin, and we're we're under that condemnation. And when we consider our relationship with God, our relationship with the law of God, um, it's one very much of fear. It's one in which, um, I mean, you look at Paul's state in Romans seven, um, where he's just, you know, he's just looking at his own self, and I mean. It, I guess to, to clarify, I do believe that Romans 7 is talking about Paul as a believer, but I, you still get the concept there that when he's looking at it from the perspective of his own performance, um, he feels just this constraint, even as a believer, 
that it's like, I'm still struggling with this, and I know this brings condemnation. I mean, you just look back through the rest of the, you know, the earlier sections of Romans. Um, it's, or even just earlier in chapter 8. Um, just this idea that if you're, if you're not putting to death the deeds of the body, if you're, if you're, um, if you're serving the lust of the flesh, you're going to die. That's the, that's the consequence of it. Um, and so that's where that fear comes in. Um, so it's not, it's not a spirit where we are uh, just in this servile position where we're, we're supposed to be obeying and we're not. Um, and so we have great fear in that position. But instead, we're adopted as sons. Um, this puts us in a completely different relationship to God and to the law of God. Um, so, I mean, that's the, the spirit of adoption just puts us in that better shape. Um, what's, the, what's the significance of the word Abba here? The Hebrew word for father. Mm-hmm. It's the Hebrew word for father. Why is that significant? I mean, you know, he's, he's writing in Greek. Why does he just suddenly throw in a, a Hebrew word? Thoughts? He's been dealing with the Jews throughout history, um, and, and maybe it's a sense of continuity back to them. That he repeats speaking to the Jewish people, and and, and, and that uh, you know, even for Abraham, though he didn't know it as that, he would have been his father. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And you can you can certainly go back to that. I mean, I think just like more immediately, it's really just this idea of being adopted as sons of God. We just have this close familial relationship with God. We're not just viewing him as, as a master, um, but that, that he's our father. We're in a new position here. Um, the, the, the spirit that we have, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he's the spirit of adoption. And he, he comes and he changes our uh, position to God the Father, to where we're in a position as, as we've been adopted. We're not just... We're not just servants in the household. Uh, we're not people that are just serving a master, but we're actually in that familial relationship. Um, now, what's the what, what does the spirit do uh, according to this passage? And he's the spirit of adoption. But what does he do? There in verse 16. I was going to say, he bears witness mm-hmm. uh, that we are children of God. Right, yeah, he bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so, um, I mean, if you think about you know the, the passages in the scripture that tell us that we're the sons of God, we're the children of God, sometimes it can be a little bit hard to believe that like we should have such a blessing. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, he bears witness with our spirit. He, in a sense, lets us know um, that we are in fact in that position, that we are the sons of God, um, and we're the children of God. And then what's the what's the significance that Paul brings out about that? It's like if we're children, then what's the result of that? We're heirs. Yeah, we're heirs. Yeah, it's like we're not we're not just the the servant in the household. We get the inheritance. We uh, we are family members, and we share in that whole thing. Um, Sorry, oh, I, I, sorry. I was just going to say that is comforting as it goes on, 
provided we suffer with them that we may glorify mm -hmm. them with them. It, it, when we are going through sufferings, it's, well, he did this with his own son. We are no less than his son, as uh -huh. God has said at other places. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that, that's a very good point. I mean, it's like, it's definitely Paul's intention here to encourage us and um, and we're we're going to suffer. I mean, that's just that's the the state of the of the Christian in this life is that we're going to suffer to some to one degree or another, and God the Son Himself suffered as well. So um, we certainly shouldn't look at our suffering as being some indication that we are not sons of God. The, the Spirit bears witness that we are sons of God. Um, and I was going to say that. Um, you know, Jesus uh, brings out kind of this idea in John chapter eight. We're going to return to to, to Romans eight, but John chapter eight, uh, beginning in verse thirty-one, uh, Jesus is having a conversation here. Eight thirty-one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." And they answered him, "We are." Uh, offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say uh, you will become free Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you everyone who practices sin is a, uh, is a slave to sin the slave does not remain in the house forever but the son remains forever so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed so again we have just this idea of a of just being a, a servant, a slave, versus the state of being a son. And here specifically, Jesus is the son. Um, and he tells us that he, as the son, sets us free, right? Um, so if the son sets us free, we're free indeed. And then, of course, in Paul's discussion, he's highlighting the fact that, um, that in being made free, uh, we are adopted as heirs. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't necessarily bring that particular point out, but but these these passages are kind of just you know they, they bring up a lot of the same theme themes um, in terms of verse you know the 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 contrast of being a servant or being uh, a son an adopted son an heir yes sort of reminds me Michael Reeves wrote a book called I think Enjoy Your Prayer Life or something like that and he sort of talks about <clears throat> the key to, you know, successful prayer, if you want to put it that way, he said, is capturing, really taking to heart this whole concept of the fatherhood of God. You know, okay. because he said, we use the word father and we pray to father and, mm -hmm. you know, it's everywhere. But he said, you know, do we really understand what that means? And just that, that endearing of, of God to us because of the work of his son and the work of his Holy Spirit. And, you know, just how much he loves us and how we are so free to come to him to share right. those things. He goes, it just totally transforms your prayer life right. when you really begin to, to capture God. So it's interesting that Paul puts these ideas together in uh -huh. this chapter. And yeah, stuff, so. yeah. No, that is that is a good point. And it's it's definitely something that's um, just really hard for us to grasp. Even like, even when we say it, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a child of God and we call him Father. It's it is very hard to really get it to our heads that we have that relationship with God. Um, I mean, and the next passage I wanted to look at um, before we go back to, to Romans 8 is in 1 John chapter 3. And you kind of see the same wonder in the way that John talks about this. 
um, in 1 John chapter 3. I don't know if I said 1 John or John, but it's 1 John is what I'm after. So 1 John chapter 3, John is talking about this. Um, and beginning in verse 1, he says, uh, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. <clears throat> so again, you, you see just like this, this idea that's like, um, it's a, uh, it, it just bears comment as far as John is concerned. It's like, what kind of love this is uh, that that we should be called children of God? And he goes on. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so you see there, again, like John is kind of just marveling at this great thing, that we are children of God. Um, and it's interesting here, he, he ties this uh, uh, to our assurance of future hope. Um, that's, that's, you know, that's something that we see here is like, we're, we're children of God and we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We're going to be converted. We're going to, we're going to be changed into something better than what we're experiencing now. Um, and so we, we have that hope. Um, and then, uh, just jumping down to verse 24, um, another similar, similar theme that pops up. Uh, he says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in, God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so there's, again, another uh, reference to that idea of the spirit bearing witness with our spirit. Um, and so we know that God abides in us because of the Holy Spirit that we have been given. And so that's a, that's a great help that the Spirit provides, a great comfort in knowing that we belong to God and having great assurance um, in that way. Um, so now going back to, uh, to Romans 8 again, I guess we just kind of want to, there's just one, one other little section here I want to cover. Well, large section, but less to talk about about it. But um, beginning in verse 18 here, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so you see, again, some of the same themes. I mean, Paul is continuing his, you know, his basically his, his idea of, of being in bondage and being freed. Um, 
and he's he's uh, you know he's speaking of us being children of God. He also uses the the term there that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Um, so uh, there we have the Spirit. Um, it's interesting that you know that it's it uses the the idea of first fruits, and there's a, an idea there of things aren't fully complete yet, right? Um, and we're waiting eagerly for something. This isn't the this isn't the our our current state isn't the main goal, is it? I mean, even when you look at creation, it's not the the current state. It's not the that's not the end. Even creation is looking forward to a time when things are going to be changed, when things are going to be redeemed. Um, but we're waiting for uh, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, is the the terminology there? He, he even uses the the terminology as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, which is I mean it's, it's somewhat strange because it's like well aren't we already adopted as sons and I mean the answer is yes but in some sense it's it's still just partial you know we haven't you know we haven't had the full realization of what that looks like um, but when we do it's going to be the redemption of our bodies uh, it's going to be in the in the language of John. Uh, that we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. Um, and as we continue, we're going to see that a lot of there's a, there's a lot that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit in terms of assurance and um, giving us great confidence for the hope that we have for our eternal existence. Um, Galatians uh, chapter five verse five. Um, says, uh, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Um, so Paul here is tying uh, the Holy Spirit to our ultimate hope. Um, now, is there any chance uh, that we who have the Spirit will fail to achieve that hope? No. No. Um, I mean, this should be just obvious. It's you know, it's the work of God. But First um, uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verses twenty-three and twenty-four. It doesn't specifically mention the Holy Spirit here, but it does talk about the purposes of God. Um, beginning in verse twenty-three, it says, "Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul be uh, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus." He who called you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so we have that promise that um, that God is going to accomplish uh, our ultimate salvation. Um, you know, he has accomplished our regeneration, um, uh, all the various blessings that we have in this life, um, and he is going to be faithful to complete the good work that he began in us. Now there's some there's some passages that speak very specifically to this and tie it to uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first one I want to look at is in Ephesians chapter one. Obviously, uh, just a, a very rich section, Ephesians chapter one, where uh, where Paul doesn't like to use periods. He just kind of. I don't, I don't remember how many sentences there are. Is it one sentence? Two sentences? Is it one? Is it one sentence? Yeah. I I, I just know there's not there's not many sentences in the Greek. So <clears throat> you always kind of hate to look at a, a section of this chapter because you feel like you're you're just jumping in in the middle of the sentence. But 
But we're going we're gonna to begin in verse 13 here in Ephesians 1, uh, where Paul says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So, um, just among the many blessings that Paul talks about there in, in um, Ephesians 1, um, with what or with who uh, were, the, were the Christians sealed that he's talking about? This is simple grammar here. The promised Holy Spirit. Yeah, the promised Holy Spirit. So, they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, now, you, you didn't just say the Holy Spirit. You said the promised Holy Spirit. What does that make you think of? Well, let's say Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon us. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, remember we did a, a lesson on the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's harkens back to that. You know, that we talked a, a great deal about the fact that the Holy Spirit was promised. Um, and so, you know, Paul is using that language here. Um, what's the what's the meaning of being sealed here? It says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Any ideas? It's the idea of a seal is it's um, closed tight, like, and usually with something like this, I think of the king putting his seal on there too, mm-hmm. saying you can't open this right. until it gets to the appropriate time. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's secure. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a kind of a kind of a tamper-proof thing. Yes. Um, where I, where I work, I mean, we we certify inspection equipment, and sometimes we will actually put stickers on things that, you know, it says, you know, um, certification not valid if the sticker is removed or something like that. You know, where it's you know, it's like it's the idea. It's like we're making it where nobody can tamper with this. It's it's good the way it is. If you pull this sticker off, then we make no guarantees. Um, so it definitely has the the idea of um, you know of of preventing tampering. Um, so the the idea of like we're, we're secure in that way. Any other ideas that are conveyed by the idea of sealing? Well, I would say jumping off a little bit what Ben was saying um, with a king's seal, mm-hmm. it, it's a signature. Mm-hmm. It's saying this is I, I have approved this. I have said this. Right. So it's the idea of authority, right? Yes. It's like it's it's the idea of of this is this is authenticated. This isn't just like some random person sealing this. This is the king has put his special design seal on something. And so you know it's it's authentic. It's from the king himself, right? Um, it's basically just a guarantee, right? Um, and we and we see that language um, as we as we continue. Um, and in, I mean verse 13, sorry, verse 14 is who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Um, just very much this, the same idea there. Um, and I, you guys probably heard this before if you've had very much Bible teaching at all, but, um, but the Greek word there um, was actually used outside of the Bible extensively um, in both legal and commercial documents for the idea of a down payment. Um, it's just... That was that was a word that was used frequently, um, and so and Paul is using that here. He's a he's a guarantee of our inheritance. Now, what is what is the idea of a down payment? What does that do? 
it's more coming we're okay. securing it with this mm -hmm. and then the rest is going to come later right yeah you're you're basically saying i am going to buy this thing um you know it's 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 not just that I'm interested, I'm, I'm telling you I'm gonna buy this thing, so I'm gonna go ahead and give you money up front. Um, but there is the idea that that's not the full thing, right? Um, you know, and we saw that when we were looking in Romans 8, you know, that there's, there's a, fuller, um, a, a fuller level to this, that, that there's the ultimate redemption coming when we're gonna be made like Christ. Uh, but we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee um, and as a as a taste of what's coming, then did you have something else? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, you know this might be taking the analogy too far, but like with a down payment, if you back out, you're not getting that back. That's true. And there's no way God God can't divide Himself. It's right. one God, three persons, and so yeah. it's just an extra thing. Like yeah, the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, so yeah, we're getting the rest of it. Yeah, when when we think of just like man's transactions and you know somebody making a down payment. There are ways to, you know, you know, wind up actually not purchasing what you're, you know, put, put the down payment on. Uh, uh, but obviously, there's penalties there. But, um, but I mean, I think the, you know, the idea when we look at it from the perspective of what God is doing, as He gives us a down payment of the Holy Spirit, is He's saying, "This is good. I'm going to do this. It's guaranteed," um, and that should give us um, uh, great assurance. Um, so, um, what is it that's guaranteed according to this passage? Our inheritance. Our inheritance, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? It's ultimate salvation. Um, and what's the purpose that uh, God guarantees it? I mean, why why is it that God guarantees our inheritance? What's He after? The praise of His glory. Yeah. The praise of His glory, right? Yeah. I mean, what's the chief end of man, right? Glorify God. Yeah. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I mean, it's that's God's purpose. God's purpose is to glorify Himself in saying, "I put my I put my seal on you. You're mine. I'm going to get you to glory. I'm going to give you the inheritance." Um, and it's it's God's work. It's not it's not us. Um, it's not dependent on us. Um, God is going to accomplish it, and He's given us His Holy Spirit as a guarantee, so that we receive the blessing, and God receives the glory for accomplishing that. Uh, later in Ephesians, uh, Paul uses similar terminology. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Uh, there he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What, is, what do you think Paul means by, by grieving the Holy Spirit? You're free to look in the context. It's talking about repenting from your okay. sin, your old way of life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the whole section there is just the idea of of living a life worthy of the calling with which we're called. Right. Um, it's it's all sorts of moral exhortations. Um, and so, 
when we stray from what God has commanded us, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's, um, that's definitely something that, that we should be very concerned about. Um, it relates very much to our discussion on, on the Holy Spirit as sanctifier. Um, but he uses this terminology here, um, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, so the Holy Spirit, again, seals us. It's the same terminology. And um, again, it's looking forward to our ultimate redemption. We're sealed for the day of redemption. So it's, the, it's God's guarantee he's going to get us there. Um, so, I mean, in a sense, even when we're considering our failings in obeying God, we still have that guarantee. We've been sealed. Uh, we're going to make it to the day of redemption. But that doesn't obviously mean that we should just then be flippant. It's like, oh well, it's guaranteed. I don't have to worry about it. It's like, well, no, you don't want to. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And if you have that attitude, then you probably haven't been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, it's pretty pretty good indication if you if you are completely unconcerned about your sin um, that the Holy Spirit is not working in you. But uh, if the Holy Spirit is working in you. You're still not going to be free from sin. You're still going to be failing. Um, and so we need to be striving to not grieve the Holy Spirit uh, by our sin. Uh, again, there's a, another uh, another couple passages, uh, both in Second Corinthians, uh, where Paul again uses this type of language, um, where he talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, about uh, about being sealed, about a guarantee. Uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, looking at verses 21 and 22, he says, And it is God who establishes us, uh, who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Um, so again, just kind of just reiterating, just similar language here. Um, we, we have the idea of anointing us, right? That's the, the idea of receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, you could um, you can kind of just draw a parallel. Um, in verse 21, you have the, the, the basically the action of, of anointing, and then in verse 22, you have the, the action of giving us the Holy Spirit, uh, and then earlier in verse 22, you have the idea of, of putting his seal on us. And then at the end of verse 22, of guaranteeing. Um, so it's like the seal and guarantee are parallel, and the anointing and the giving the Spirit is, are, are parallel. Um, and so it's just very much just, a, again, a reiteration of the fact that we've received the Holy Spirit, and that is a guarantee. Um, it's also interesting that if you... Uh, pay attention to everything that's going on here. This is a Trinitarian passage. Um, you see all three members of the Trinity uh, brought in. Uh, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and giving us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so there you see the, the, uh, the establishment of God. You see that um, that it's it's in Christ and that the Holy Spirit is received. And so all three members of the triune God working together um, for our salvation. Um, 
Specifically in this passage, he is more talking about uh, their position as apostles um, as he's writing to the Corinthians. But uh, still, all of these things apply to all believers. He brings up again the same type of terminology uh, in chapter 5 of this book, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. It says, uh, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Um, so again, um, the Holy Spirit is brought in. Again, the, the word guarantee is used. In all, in all of these passages, the word guarantee gets the same, the same Greek word that was used for a down payment. Now I am jumping in kind of in the middle of a thought here. So what is the very thing... Um, that Paul has, or sorry, that God has prepared us for. Um, So if we look back at the first five verses, um, you know, beginning in verse one, he says, uh, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Uh, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, uh, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, considering that whole context, uh, when he says then, um, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, what's the very thing that he's referring to? Death. Death, okay. Is that the is that the full meaning? Heaven. Heaven. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you look at the, what, what's the what's the discussion that's going on here? What's what's Paul talking about in these first five verses? He's talking about us taking on our glorified state. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking about us taking on our glorified state. He's describing our current state as as being clothed, but not. Not clothed in the way we would like to be. We're, we're clothed in a, in a basically a corruptible state. Um, but and our goal is not to be naked, but to be clothed with the incorruptible state, right? To be to be in our redeemed, our fully redeemed state with our new glorified bodies. And, um, and just thinking about the whole imagery of the the tent mm-hmm. and the heavenly dwelling, it would. I would think triggered the idea that the tabernacle and dwelling with God and and stuff too as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's a that's a that's definitely a good parallel. Um, and it's yeah, and and obviously one of the things that you see um, running throughout Scripture that is very much tied to the tabernacle is the idea of God dwelling with His people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mean, when we think about it, it's like that's. That's what's going on when we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Is God is dwelling with His people, but yet we don't have that that full level of 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 dwelling. I mean, even like when we think of the tabernacle, it was like, yes, there's the 
there's the tent in the center of the camp and you know when God comes down and his glory is is there um, but in a sense there's there's still this you know some level of separation um, even in that picture we see from the Old Testament uh, but we're looking forward to the time when we behold God fully when we're in his presence um, without this uh, you know this corrupt state that we're in being a barrier to that um, and so Paul is very much looking forward to that he's he's looking at, at this uh, time and he's and it's an encouragement that like well if our earthly home is destroyed if we die right that was you know that was something that was mentioned there that uh, that this is talking about um, if we die we don't have to worry we have a building from God uh, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens it's also interesting, you subtly get the Trinity entered again here because you have the dwelling tent, God with us, the Spirit mm-hmm. being a new element of that, and then he also mentions Christ as the cornerstone in the middle of that whole process. Right, yeah. So, yeah, that's areas where you don't even think about it, but then you come yeah. back and go, well, here's the Trinity again. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is fascinating how how many times, I mean, just to kind of digress on what you're mentioning there, because that is a good point, that... How many times people who are opposed to the doctrine of the Trinity, they're like, well, there's no, there's no explicit, you know, statement of the Trinity, you know, and so we got to like kind of go and like put passages together and show them, look, if we if we understand all these things and we put them together, our only conclusion has to be to believe that God exists in eternity. Uh, but like when you when you accept the doctrine of the Trinity and you just read Scripture, you just see that it's like it just saturates the thinking of the apostles. Even when they're not being explicit in their understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in accomplishing God's will just just pops up all over the place. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so when we look at this passage, I mean, it's just very much, again, it's, it's tying back to the whole idea of that we have this down payment. We're, we're, we have a beginning of this and we're looking forward to the full fulfillment but it's not just that like well we've got a little piece and, and we're waiting but it's like that piece is a guarantee that that the, the fact that we have a taste of what we're going to receive um, should just cause us to have great confidence that God is going to completely fulfill his purposes and we're going to have the fullness uh in the in the proper time um and you know and paul goes on to talk about uh, being of good courage if you just continue reading that passage in in second corinthians he's you know he's talking about being of good courage because uh because of these things so it should be a you know a great encouragement as we go through the various trials of this life um and just in closing um i want to just a little quote from uh, from a hymn here that uh, you guys may be familiar with. Jesus, I my cross have taken, um, and it, I think it's just it. I mean, again, it's uh, it it really brings out just this idea uh, where there's a line that says, "Think what spirit dwells within me, think what Father's smiles are thine, think that Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven, canst thou repine." Um, and again, it's, it brings in the doctrine of the Trinity, obviously there, uh, but you know specifically the first one is you know think what spirit dwells within me, 
the spirit of God is dwelling in us. Um, and when you, you know, go through all sorts of suffering, not to diminish that suffering that, that we experience in this life, but when we think of what spirit dwells within us, can we, can we really repine? Can we really re- uh, complain? You know, and add to it, you know, the smiles of the Father, the, the death of Christ on our behalf. Um, I mean, that should give us just great confidence and joy and the ability to face the trials of this life uh, so that we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing, right? Um, so hopefully that's, a, that's a, a great encouragement. And I mean, I think that um, it's, a, it's a good place to end our study on the Holy Spirit, to think of the Holy Spirit as a helper. Um, the fact that he helps us in our prayer, the fact that we... We have this spirit of adoption, that we're sons of God, that um, the spirit indwells us and uh, gives us a foretaste of what we will have and a guarantee that is going to be accomplished. Any final thoughts or comments before we close? Questions? Just covered it all exhaustively, huh? <laughs> uh, well... There's much more that we could talk about, and um, you know, certainly recommend that in your personal study, you know, it's it's worthwhile to 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 do work on studying through, you know, who is the Holy Spirit and what has He accomplished. Hey, Chris, just yeah. real quick before you close, do do you could you recommend just some of the books you used or resources that I've, if people want to study further? Pr- probably the uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book is was like the most helpful um, in terms of like uh, I think it's, it was just the Holy Spirit yeah, is that yeah it's the, so yeah the Holy Spirit by Sinclair Ferguson you know it's a fairly recent fairly thorough uh, book um, that that covers the doctrine of the Holy Spirit um, I also uh, read quite a bit of John Owens I think it's just called pneumatology um, you know it's a little harder to understand because it's you know from 17th century but um, but it's uh, it's certainly I, I found a lot of helpful stuff in there. So um, you know, and I just grabbed various pieces from other places. But uh, but if you just like want a resource, probably Sinclair Ferguson's book is a is a great place to start. So thank you. All right. Well, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can call you Father, uh, that you have adopted us as your children. And God, we thank you that we have your Holy Spirit. And uh, God, I just pray that we would just continue to uh, meditate on the great truths of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives, in in history. Um, And God, just your great character. And God, I pray that um, we would just learn to better worship you aright, that we would learn to obey you, that we would uh, not grieve the Holy Spirit, um, but God, just that we would walk in a manner um, worthy of the calling with which you have called us and have great confidence that you are going to accomplish your will in us, that you will bring us to glory so that your name will be glorified by your great work. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.